them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Now I want you to know, as I share this message today, that I'm speaking to myself as well. And before we go any further, can we just have a short word of prayer? Father, we thank you that you are our God and our King and our Savior, and that you have given us your sure word from the beginning to the end. And Lord, I pray that your spirit will be with us and open our hearts to receive your love today, to have the understanding of your great sacrifice and how much you love us. So please, Lord, bless us now as we continue on in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So picking up in verse 5, it says, Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and I will bring flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise. And there was a noise. And behold, a shaking. And the bones came together, bone to bone. Can you imagine this? Can you just kind of envision this in your head? It's, it's almost pretty, kind of hard to do that, but... And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them uh, above. But there was no breath in them. Then said he unto me, Prophesy unto the wind, and prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceeding great army. Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. The whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried, and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. Therefore, prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves, and I will cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And ye shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves, and shall put my spirit in you, and ye shall live, and I shall place you in your own land Then shall you know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. So, Ezekiel spoke God's word, and the bones came together with a noise and a shaking, even. A noise and a shaking. Can you imagine that many dead bones? Rattling together. I mean, there's going to be a noise and a shaking. But was there life in them yet? No. There was no life. You know, it looked like a complete body. 
It had everything necessary for a complete body as it looked. But there was no life in them. So he prophesied again to the wind and said to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So let's back up here a little bit. Can the whole house of Israel look like a complete body and yet not have life? And will they be able to stand upon their feet or will they be able to be active? No. So question is, what is the whole house of Israel? So let's examine that for a moment. Let's go to Romans chapter 11. Flip over to Romans chapter 11. And we will be looking at verses 25 and 26. Romans 11, 25 and 26. And it said, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, there shall come out of Zion a deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Now let's back up a little bit to Romans nine twenty seven. Romans 9, 27. And uh, I think I'll read 26 with that. And it says, And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, You are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. Isaiah also crieth concerning Israel, Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. Now let's look at Romans 10, 12, and 13. And there it says, For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. So let's now look at Romans 9, 6 through 8. Romans 9, 6 through 8. In verse 6 it says, Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel, which are Israel, are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. But in Isaac they shall be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. So we are part of the whole house of Israel, are we not? So let's jump back to our story now. So there may be a whole lot of noise. And a whole lot of shaking going on, but no life in them. You know, too often, there's a whole lot of noise and shaking going on in our church. But no life. 
So what has to happen here? What has to happen to them? They need the breath or the wind that comes from the four winds. So, let's go to another story. We will refer back to this story, but let's go to another story. We're going to go to 2 Kings uh, chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. And we will be looking at, to begin with, just to start with, verse 30. And this will set our context here. So, 2 Kings 4, verse 30. And it says, And the mother of the child said, As the Lord liveth, and thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. Well, what we need to do here is we need to go back to the beginning of this story. And as we start the beginning of this story, we're going to be looking at these snapshots. And uh, let's see where God leads us here. So let's go to verse 8 of chapter 4. And it says in verse 8, And it fell on a day that Elijah passed to Shunem, where was a great woman. You know, as I was reading this, this story, and as I saw this, as a woman was named a great woman, and I find it interesting that this woman is never referred to by name. It's always the Shumanite woman, or the woman. And um, in my studies of... In Salvation, Symbols, and Signs, as we've been studying Revelation and the book of Daniel to come, the woman here, we're going to give a snapshot. The woman here is the church. The woman here, this great woman, is not only a woman, but it's a great woman. Now, I know if you look this up, that she was a wealthy woman. She was well-to-do. Uh, her husband was quite wealthy, but she was a great woman. And she constrained him to eat bread. Now, I want your mind to grasp a whole as we're going through this. All of these words that are put in here are going to send these little snapshots and pictures to us. So we're starting out with this great woman. And then she constrained him to eat bread. Who? Elijah. The man of God. And what is bread in the Bible? The word of God. The word of God. And so it was that as often as he passed by, he turned in hither to eat, thither to eat bread. The bread of life. And she said to her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is a holy man of God, which passes by us continually. A holy man of God, which passes by us continually. Here's another snapshot of Jesus. He's always wooing us unto him, passing by us with this Holy Spirit to draw us unto him, to eat bread, to eat the bread of life. And this woman recognized that. So she said, let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, 
on the wall and let us set for him here a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick. And it shall be when he cometh to us, he shall turn in thither. And as I'm reading this, my mind is just going, wow, this is incredible. Because here we have this man of God and the woman wants to make him this little chamber. God tells us that thy way, in I think it's Psalm 73 or 6, uh, that says thy way is in the sanctuary. And as I'm looking at this verse and I'm seeing these articles of furniture and the context here of the, the man of God. And so he, he's got this bed. And the bed, um, when I think about it, when Jesus died at the altar of sacrifice, and then from the laver into the holy place, we have these articles of furniture. We have the table of showbread. We have the altar of incense, and we have the candlestick. But here it's showing a bed and a stool as well. So as I look at this bed, I think when we enter into Christ and we follow him into the sanctuary, we find rest. He gives us a bed that we might find rest. Hebrews refers to this rest. And then we have this table, the table of showbread. And the table of showbread has the two stacks of bread, six in each stack, representing 12, the 12 tribes of Israel, the bread of life, God the Father, the Son. This is his table. This is his rest as well as we come before. But, so we ended up with this stool. And this stool, we can sit at at his table and feast upon his word, his bread. Which brings us to the candlestick. That the candlestick is for light. And we become that light. Fed by the the Holy Spirit coming from the two olive trees. It's, it's just amazing as we look at what God has given us in his word. And it fell on a day, in verse 11. And it fell on a day that he came thither, and he turned into the chamber, and he lay there. The man of God in the chamber, and he lay there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, call this Shumanite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. And he said unto him, Say now unto her, Behold, thou hast been careful for us. You have taken good care of us. With all this care, what is to be done for thee? Wouldest thou be spoken for to the king or to the captain of host? To the captain of the host? And I'm thinking, the king and the captain of the host. Would you be spoken for to them? Well, who is the king of kings? We have God the Father. Who's the captain of the host? Jesus. Isn't he the captain? Michael, the archangel? Now there's two stories here. Remember, we're reading. And she answered, I dwell among my own people. Who is, who is she again? She is the church. That We're, we're looking at these snapshots. 
She says she dwells among her own people. And he said, what then is to be done for her? So what did God do for the church? Let's read on. And he said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the door. When the children of Israel, before they came out of bondage in Egypt, God commanded them to do something. He said, over the door on the post, to put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost, which represented the sacrifice of Christ, our Savior. So here was a promise of the Savior to come. And his blood, his shed blood, would give us life. And so, thinking about this woman, the church, what does Elijah do? He said, about this season, according to the time of life, the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. And she said, nay, my Lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thy handmaid. And the woman did conceive. She conceived and bear a son at the season that Elijah had said unto her, according to the time of life. According to the time of life, Jesus came. And when the child was growing, it fell on a day that he went out to his father, to the reapers. Now I'm imagining, maybe I have a great imagination. But God has given me these thoughts. That the child went out to his father. When Jesus was ministering to his children. Was he not connected with the father? That was, that's how he did it. That's how he stayed sinless. By being totally connected to his father. And then there were the reapers. Well, there are good reapers and there are bad reapers. And Jesus had the 12 disciples and they were to help as reapers. But there, were, there was the church who they were reapers as well. But I would say at the time, at this specific time, that they were not a good reaper. So what, what became of that? And he said unto his father, my head, my head. And he said to the lad, carry him to his mother. Carry him to his mother. So the lad, or as we're, we're looking at the snapshots, that Jesus was carried to his mother. Was the church, when Jesus was being crucified, when he was being, before, when he was being uh, tortured by uh, Rome, first by, by the church and then by Rome, it says here, I'm thinking of the church was there. And, and when talked about his head, my head, when Jesus was being 
whatever you want to call it, interviewed. <laughs> or when Pilate, he was before Pilate, and then what did they do to him? They beat him. They put a crown of thorns upon his head. And the blood flowed from him. And then they beat him with stripes upon his body. My head, my head. And when he had taken him back to his mother, and I'm thinking of the church, and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. So here you have the disciples were down in front of Jesus as he's on the cross. So here you have pretty much the whole church before Christ. I can tell you that the noon thing didn't make any sense to me <laughs> for an application here. But we're, again, we're looking at the story with snapshots here. So, and she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. And so she took this child and took him back to the chamber, took him up to the chamber, to the holy place. And then she called unto her husband and said, Send me, I pray thee, one of the young men and one of the asses, that I may run to the man of God and come again. And he said, Wherefore wilt thou go unto him today? It is neither the new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, It shall be well. It shall be well. Then she saddled an ass and said to her servant, Drive and go, back, go forward. Slack not the riding for me, except I bid thee. This thought takes me to Revelation chapter 12, speaking of the woman in the wilderness. She fled to the wilderness. And she said, this, I mean, it's, <laughs> there's an urgency here. There's a great urgency. So she went and she came to the man of God to Mount Carmel. And it came to pass when the man of God saw her afar off, that he said to Gehazi, his servant, Behold, yonder is that Shumanite. Here comes that church. The great woman. Now, run now, I pray thee, to meet her, and say unto her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with thy child? And she answered, Things are horrible. You won't believe it. No, she said, It is well. It is well. And when she came to the man of God to the hill, she caught him by the feet. But Gehazi came near to thrust her away. And the man of God said, let her alone, for her soul is vexed within her. And the Lord hath hid this from me and hath not told me. Then she said, did I desire a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? Then he said to Gehazi, gird up thy loins and take my staff in thy hand and go thy way. If thou meet any man, salute him not. And if any man salute thee, answer him not again and lay my staff upon the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And he arose and followed her. The woman. And Gehazi passed on before him and laid the staff of the face on, upon the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Wherefore, he went again to meet him and told him, saying, The child is not awake. 
This staff, as I was thinking about it, it reminds me of, or I think it kind of represents the promise of the coming Savior. You know, Elijah said, go lay this on the child. And you can go clear back to Genesis and the promise of the seed to come. Could, could the staff at that time bring life? Could the, the, could the staff cleanse the people from sin? It was a promise that the Savior would come and do this. So Elijah, when he was coming to the house, remember the chamber? When he was coming to the house and shut the door upon the two of them, what did he do? What was the first thing that Elijah did? He prayed. He prayed unto the Lord. So, the woman, as we've talked about, represents the church. And the woman needs to stay connected with the Savior Christ Jesus. And when the lad had first died, did the woman, what did the woman do? The woman did not go and talk with anyone, but she went straight to the man of God. She went straight to the man of God. You know, this parallels or connects us to the death of Christ, the child of the woman. I'd like us to turn over to Revelation chapter 12, and uh, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 5. Revelation chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. It says, And there appeared a great wonder, a great wonder in heaven, a woman, this great woman, clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew a third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. So, this child was caught up into a God. And it's telling us that the child here in Revelation 12, verse 5, died and was caught up to God. So, here the child died but was revived and went to the Father. Now, hold this thought. In Revelation, hold these thoughts. And I want to go back to verse 34 in Second Kings, there in uh, chapter 4 and verse 34. And it says, Elijah went in unto the child and put his mouth upon his mouth. 
and his eyes upon his eyes, and his hands upon his hands. And then he stretched forth himself upon the child, and the flesh of the child waxed warm. So I have a question. Is that a good thing? At this point, is that a good thing that the flesh of the child waxed warm? Was there life in the child? Not yet. His, his, his flesh had gotten warm, but there was no life yet. You know, I can think of another place in the Bible that talks about being lukewarm. Let's take a look at a Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. So we're Revelation chapter 3, beginning with verse 15. It says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold or hot. I would thou were cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. So I will spew thee out of my mouth. In 2 Timothy 3.5, it says, To have a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. So I want you to be able to see here that God is sharing the gospel in the stories of the Old Testament. So, beloved, dig for it as hidden treasure. And these stories, they have an application for each of us. And I'm not even going to bring out all the stuff that I see in these stories because there's so much more there. Go home. Study the word of God and ask God to open your eyes to the snapshots of his love in his word. So Elijah here, he didn't, he didn't stop too soon. He didn't quit just when the flesh got warm. He was persistent in his faith as we should be persistent in our faith. And it says that Elijah went into the house and he walked to and fro. Well, it reminds me of another story in the Bible. I also remember a time in Job where Satan came, where also the sons of God came before God, and in Job 1.7, we won't go there for the sake of time, but God says, whence comest thou? And Satan says, from going to and fro in all the earth and walking up and down in it. You see, here Satan is doing some bragging because he thinks he owns this earth. He thinks he's pretty powerful. But beloved, God is telling us here in 2 Kings 4.35 that he is here walking in it, doing a work that will be finished and that he cares for his children and his church. You see, God is in control. And the woman will bring forth a child in Revelation 12.1 and 2. It told us that. And you see, we see a process happening here with the child. So, as we've, as we've read in verse 34, how Elijah put his mouth upon the mouth of the child and his eyes upon the eyes of the child, and his hands upon, he spread his body out upon the child. I believe that this is something like CPR. 
which is what cardiopulmonary resuscitation is that correct um but in my book that means Christ's people revived Christ's people revived so Elijah he went up and he stretched himself upon the child again wow I think about this so as Christ's people are revived and Elijah went up and stretched himself on the child, what did Jesus do for us on the cross? He stretched himself upon the cross to breathe the breath of life into us through the Holy Spirit, to give us life. We had no chance of life up to that point. We had a promise. But if Jesus would have failed in his mission, we would have had no promise. But when he died on that cross and he was risen from the grave, that promise became very, very real. So he stretched forth himself again upon the child and he sneezed seven times. And the child opened his eyes. Incredible. But this sneezing seven times, I, I want to come back to it, but... Before we do, I first, I want to go, I want us to, if we have time, no, we probably don't, but refer to Genesis 2-7 here, and it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became what? A living soul. So what did he do? He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Can you think of another time that God did that? Well, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, wow, in John chapter 20. Let's go to there to the book of John chapter 20, beginning at verse 19. If I can get there. So John 20, 19 through 22, we're going to look at. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for the fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst, and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had said so, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. What did he do? He breathed upon them and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. So, at this time, I want you to know, though, that when Jesus came in to his disciples there, this was the whole church. It wasn't very big at the time, but this was the whole church, and he breathed the breath of life into these people. This was the main body. And I have another question for you. So as we've looked at Revelation 12, 1 and 2, and it says that the woman was with child, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. So the question is, so when did the woman become pregnant and when was there a need 
of a savior. Well, in Genesis 3, 1 through 7, is the story of the fall of man when the serpent came to Eve and got her to disobey God and Adam. And I can tell you that as soon as Eve took of the fruit and then gave to Adam, that they right then, in that moment, they made the decision to disobey God that they needed a Savior. As soon as they left God, they had the Savior before. They had God, walked in the garden with them and talked with them. And then they disobeyed God and separated themselves from their maker. And right then, they needed a Savior. And what happened right after that? God came there, Jesus, and he talked with each one of them. And he told them that there would be, there would be a seed the church right then became pregnant because the seed was to come through the church. And from that time forward, Satan, Lucifer, was looking for the Savior, was looking for that seed. And when Cain was born, he thought, is this the Savior? Is this the Savior? I've got to get to him. I've got to destroy this child. He didn't know. He just knew that there was a seed because God had told him the seed is going to come and it's going to crush your head. And then he, didn't, he, he got Cain. He got him to disobey God. And then, he, then Abel, is this, is this the Savior? No, it wasn't. He got Cain to destroy Abel. And, and so um, throughout the whole Old Testament time, Satan was looking for the Savior to come. You see, the Old Testament, the Old Testament church that carried the child is the same church all the way through to this very day. It's never changed. The church has never changed. Jesus was born in the Old Testament church, but Jesus always taught from the Old Testament, did he not? That was the word of God that they had. And in Hebrews 13.8, it tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what about the seven sneezes? You know, I, I really thought about these. <laughs> and this is my opinion. And this could be totally wrong, but I'm going to throw this out. That this, a sneeze occurs in the sinuses because of an irritant. Or a sinus or a sickness. So, when the air or breath of life enters the sinus, it causes the nostrils to release the irritant. Think about this. You see, Elijah breathed in life to the boy, and by faith, God brought him back to life. And so can God bring his church back to life. And also remember that seven is a perfect or complete number, which could also refer to the seven sneezes as a likeness to the seven churches in Revelation, that they were given life through the Son of God. God breathed upon his church. He carried his church all the way through. So in Ezekiel 37, God raised up an army or a remnant caused by the breath from the four winds, back to our first story, which is referring to the four directions of the earth, 
north, east, west, and south. And I've shared this before with you, that if you put those letters in that order, it spells the word news. And here it's very, very good news. Good news is telling us that God is working in the whole entire earth. It's not Satan's earth. It's God's. Oh, Satan is going about like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour to cause death and destruction. But very soon, sin will be exterminated from this earth. The people first will be cleansed. That's what God is doing right now, cleansing us. He's given us the gift, the free gift as he gave to all men. And we all have a choice. But in time, then, the earth will also be made new. So in closing, I would like to share one more story from 2 Kings. Let's go to 2 Kings chapter 13. And I think this really fits in quite well. And we're going to be beginning looking at verse 14. 13, 14. Um, Okay, let me get organized here. (laughs) So here we have in this story, we have uh, Joash, King Joash, who is very, very upset because Elijah, here in verse 14, has fallen with sickness and it says that he died of this sickness, but he's not dead yet. But he does die of this sickness, so he's on his deathbed. But Joash comes to him because, you see, he's worried about the Syrian army. And he knows that Elijah is, is kind of the strength of Israel. He's the one that's, that's a prophet. He's, he's, he's connected with God. And he doesn't know what's going to happen if he's gone. And so he comes to me, he says, um, and he wept over his face and he said, oh, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. Speaking of chariots, when they were in battle, chariots were the most powerful weapon they had in the horsemen. I mean, that, they won many battles with their powerful chariots. But he referred to Elijah as this. And Elijah said unto him, Take bow and arrows. And he took unto him bow and arrows. And he said unto the king, Put thy hand upon the bow. Put yourself in the king's position right now. Pretend that this is you. Put thy hand upon the bow. And he put his hand upon the bow. And Elijah put his hand upon the king's hands, the man of God. And he said, open the window eastward, and he opened it. Then Eliza said, shoot, and he shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. So there's two full message in this arrow. One is deliverance from Syria. But the other one is, is the arrow of the Lord's deliverance. And that arrow is still flying to this very day. Because God's hand has not been shortened. That arrow is still flying and we have hope. Because we have a Savior. Christ our Savior. And it says, 
the arrow of deliverance from Syria. And it did give them deliverance from, from, the, from Syria here. But then Elijah goes on in verse 18 and he says, Now take the arrows, the remaining arrows that he has. He only shot one. And so he took his arrows and he said to the king of Israel, Smite on the ground and he smote three times on the ground. So if somebody told you to take some arrows and smite them, does three times sound like a pretty good number? I mean, wham, wham, wham. But it says here that the man of God was wroth with him and said, thou should have smitten five or six times. Then if you had done that, Syria, uh, thou would have smitten Syria till, the, Syria till that have, thou hast consumed it. Whereas now thou shalt smite Syria but three times. You know, we too often give up too soon or quit. When we get through a big trial, then we let up and relax. And beloved, there's no time to relax. You see, if the king would have done it more times, then they would have defeated Syria for good. In other words... They had a time of rest for a season, but not forever. Beloved, I want it forever. How about you? So in Ezekiel 37, 4, it says, O ye dry bones, hear ye the word of the Lord. You know, my bones have been pretty dry over the years. And I want to give my heart to God. And let him breathe life into this body. And I pray it for the whole church. God's people. Well, there's two more verses to this story that really caught my attention. And I wondered and I wondered and I wondered about these verses. Verses 20 and 21. And remember, Elijah's words were God's words that he was speaking. But here it says in verse 20 that Elijah died and they buried him. And the bands of the Moabites invaded the land at the coming end of the year. And it came to pass as they were burying a man, just they were burying a man. Behold, they spied a band of men and they cast the man into the sepulcher of Elijah. I don't know why. They were worried about a dead man that they had to cast him into a sepulcher. But you can think about that. And they cast him into the sepulcher of Elijah. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elijah, he revived the man, the dead man, not Elijah. He revived and stood upon his feet. He wasn't just a body with flesh and sinew but he was a complete body alive. And I think that this man, in verse 21, tells us that God is not dead. And even a dead, godly man's bones still are full of God's power to make alive or revive. Jesus even said, if we don't do what he's asked us, that the rocks would cry out. 
So here we have it. So when trouble is before us, with great tribulation such as never before, because we are facing great tribulation coming, and there's not much time. And I speak this with fear and trembling and with faith. And with faith. One man is revived that can revive all men to him if ye dry bones will hear the word of the Lord. So may God bless you and have a happy Sabbath. Let's have our closing song.